It's the most fun you'll ever have listening to music. The magic of Walt Disney. And the music of some of the all-time greats. Don't believe it. I don't believe it. It's true, but be careful. You may laugh so hard you won't be able to hear the music. Be sure you see the extraordinary Make Mine music. I do it. On the Disney Channel. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another zippity doodah day on this podcast. Uh, today, we continue our exploration into the Disney animated wartime era movies with Make Mine Music and Fun and Fancy Free. I wish the latter movie actually kept uh, its word with from the title, but uh, I'll share my feelings on that movie later on. With me, as always, is my co-host and friend, Josh Page. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you for another lovely introduction, as always. Uh, yes, that's right, folks. Uh, we will be doing uh, Song of the South today. This is going to be quite the episode. I'm very excited to talk about all of our... Uh, uh, to, to dive into our exploration of... of or continue our exploration of, of racist Disney in the in the olden era. So, Though we will not be talking about uh, Song of the South this episode, because it's, you know... It's not easily available, although apparently neither was Make Mine Music. Uh, but I, I don't know. I've never watched Song of the South. We could just get this out of the way now if you want. I've never seen it. I oh, know the I've never seen it. Brer Fox, Brer Bear, and Brer Rabbit. I know that the allegory and like message of the movie was like, it's good to be a slave. I don't know. I don't know if I have the strength to watch it. We, That's like watching Birth of a Nation, you know? We're going to save that for a bonus episode somewhere down the road. Oh, boy. <laughs> I don't know how and when or where, but we'll find a time. The only reason we bring that movie up is because it came out at the same year, 1946. It's Make Mine Music. This is the slot that where it would have gone. In chronologic, if you, for the folks at home following chronologically, this is the slot, the time slot where A Song of the South would fit in. Um, but it's funny that you mentioned Br'er Rabbit and Br'er Fox because the shorts, because I guess A Song of the South has segments, like short segments, or they have like smaller characters that have their own storyline. I, I don't, but I it's funny because I grew up, and I'll mention this more throughout, but I grew up with, um, there were, I guess there were storybooks. There were big printed storybooks of Disney, like short stories. And it's funny because I had, books of like uh, Sleepy Hollow and Casey at the Bat. And I had, they had not realized that they were from these smaller segments that we will be talking about, some of which we will be talking about today. Yeah, it's interesting how these movies, the wartime era movies, how embedded into Disney culture they are, but they never really are like prominent. Like I was thinking about the theme parks right. too, because I went there, I've gone to Disney World, I don't even know how many times in my life. Because that was the family spot. I'm so happy uh, for you. Yeah. It was a little too much. Uh, <laughs> too much tuna? It was a little too much tuna at a certain point. But if you go to like the Magic Kingdom, they have the Beanstalk in Fantasyland. They have a restaurant in Main Street USA that's Casey Jr.'s Hot Dogs. You know, they have these like little hints of these eras just like sprinkled on top of the theme park and it's very interesting because i don't even know how many people will pick up on these references anymore 
they're they're kind of like like a lot of Disney content. They're subconsciously kind of just um, imprinted in my mind, and I think on just our generation. I mean, I guess that's what Disney's goal is: is like, hey, here's Disney, but here's like all of it, and you may not know the origin of it, but it's really going to be uh, everywhere in your life, <laughs> yeah, forever and always. You're not right. going to get the reference, but you're going to see the reference, right? Yeah, and so well, I experienced that. Watching, just keep this, on so. to those uh, books or whatever they are, because you're never going to see Brer Fox, Brer Rabbit, and Brer Bear ever again. Oh like, no! Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, Disney is taking them off of uh, Splash Mountain. They're completely they're, redoing. They're trying Splash to scrub Mountain. it. They're trying to scrub those characters completely. Yeah, they got called out, and. Uh, we can argue the validity of that, but we won't. Anyway, let's get into the wartime era before we get into either one of the movies, because I don't really have a lot of notes uh, history-wise on Make My Music. In fact, it looks like Disney has kind of like pushed that movie off to the side. It's not even on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, it's very interesting, and I'm not quite sure... I'm not quite like, sure why. What the exact reasons are. I mean, I've read some stuff online about things that were censored or sketches that were taken out, which we'll talk about. Yeah. Oh, or, or maybe that's, um, sorry. Maybe it's no, fun we'll, and fancy. We'll get to that a little bit. So before yeah. we get there, let's just talk about the wartime effort. Yeah, pick up uh, where we last left off. As the, you uh, guys know, uh, those who have listened, Walt went on a trip to South America to essentially be an ambassador for the United States. What kept the Disney studio alive, because let's not forget, he had a flop after flop. His studio was in debt, it, especially by uh, the time the war came around. Dumbo was a hit, but it didn't absolve him of all his debt. In order to make money, essentially Disney sold the studio out to the war effort. He was hired to make not only Saludos Amigos and uh, Three Caballeros, but the Disney characters were embedded deep into the American army. Uh, they made pictures of propaganda and cartoons. They had 32 shorts commissioned by the United States government. The most famous being the Fuhrer's face, which won an Oscar. That's the one where Donald Duck is a Nazi. Oh yeah. And he wakes up in America and is like, yes, thank God I still live in America. <laughs> wasn't it great to have those days when it wasn't a fascist regime? That's wonderful. Um, he also made a full-length movie. It's not an animated movie, which is why it doesn't fall into it, but it's called Victory Through Air Power. Walt, uh, a general who was, I forget the name of the general, but he came to the Walt Disney Studios and was talking to Walt and mentioned the airplanes that were coming for the war efforts. And Disney, Walt Disney actually like became obsessed with airplanes for that time. And he like insisted in making this movie Victory Through Air Power, which is a, essentially like a documentary about how air power was going to win World War II. Mm -hmm. It's pretty crazy. It's, it's, it's interesting and, and like we've been saying every week and now it's becoming more prominent, especially now with wartime. It's just that how much the animation um, is completely influenced in all ways by everything going on in the world. So, yeah. Um, they made manuals, they made like shorts uh, on, like, they literally made uh, animated shorts on how to handle weapons for the military. Donald Duck, who was actually the biggest uh, 
character that Disney had at the time was like plastered everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Walt Disney Studio in Burbank. Their sound stages were used to storage tanks. Like literally the military moved into the studio. It's crazy. Yeah, it's wild. It's um Walt did a lot for the war effort. You can say yeah. maybe not for complete altruistic pre pro America causes because he that's this is how he got out of debt. But at the same time, he did his patriotic duty. He fucking came through for the military. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how many notes you have in regards of like everything going on during the war because like like I'm just looking at the top note for because I guess in chronologically, make my music is first. Make my music came out in it's, 1946. It's, it's which Obviously, the war had ended. By right. Then. So like, but like, it was be, as. Josh and I have discussed, it takes a long time to make these movies. Absolutely. So it's not as though they started up production in 1946. They they started in 19, like probably 1940, you know, end of 44 or 45. And I guess anticipating the imagery that they're using uh, would reflect based on like where they stood at the war. Like for example, like the top note on IMDb is that um, uh, the Peter and the Wolf segment has an explicitly Russian setting and Russian characters portrayed sympathetically. Yeah. Uh, an example of the period it was produced, but for much of World War II- I definitely was gonna mention that because- Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the it's Russia kind of- thing was very interesting to me because this was before, it had to have been before the Cold War really kicked in. Right, so the note says, for much of World War II, the US and Soviet Union were allies. Um, there were pro-Russian Soviet works uh, that are existed that were produced by American creators, but by 1946, with the release of Make Mine Music, the war had recently ended and the two countries were still normally allied, but tensions would lead to the Cold War um, already being present. Um, though it's, major... It's interesting, that movie? Yeah. A, I mean, we'll talk about the segment later. All right. Uh, yeah. We can get into the actual movie of Make yeah, Mine yeah, yeah, Music. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I really don't have notes uh, overall for this movie, but I have right. notes about segments when we get to them. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'll just go over the segments of the movie because as we've been saying before too, these movies are not full narrative features. They are short, you know, shorts conglomerated into one movie. Make My Music has 10 shorts in this one movie. The first one is The Martins and the Coys, which the music is by The King's Men. Obviously, this is a parody on the Hatfields and McCoys. It's about two families who live on the opposite side of the hill and hate each other. But their children or grandchildren fall in love. But honestly, it has probably the most realistic ending of any Disney romance because the woman and the man fight all the time. And that's really the story, the end. (laughs) Yeah, it's really... um... Um, well, we said we'll save our thoughts for it later, but yeah, keep it going. It's interesting with the old men in the beards watching from heaven and whatever. Um, <laughs> then we go to the Blue Bayou, which is completely different tonally because the one before it, the Martins and the Coys, is like that's like heavy country, and Blue Bayou is like classical. This is actually this animation was actually intended for Fantasia, but it got right. cut. Oh, yeah. 
uh, uh, you- that makes a lot of sense because I like I had made a note last week and I felt it even more this week where um, last week it was um, Latin America you know we did three caballeros to lose amigos and I said it felt almost like a Spanish Fantasia but like, I feel even more so the Fantasia vibes because of the contrast between animated segments yeah um, then we go to all the cats join in which uh, is about kids just like beat bopping and scatting in town you know that's pretty much it i don't have i mean there's a central couple in the segment but it you know you get it uh but in the segment it originally featured female nudity which was edited out when it was released in dvd i can imagine which is pretty crazy that they drew nudity in this movie but hey, I guess uh, I've seen this. I think it was in The Rescuers or The Rescuers Down Under. There's an actual naked woman in the movie. Really? I, I don't think, think it would have so. been Down Under because that was, that, was, that was decades later. Yeah, I think it was The Rescuers. In like, like when uh, they're diving down and in one of the window segments, like if you still at like a very specific point, there's like a naked woman in there. That's got to be original rescuers because, uh, you know, as yeah, we said, with, Dizzy's all, all racy and pervy for however many years before people are like, hey, hey, this is, you can't do, you can't put that in the movies, you know? But hey, we're not talking about that movie oh, because that is in the dark ages and that will probably come eventually. Anyway, the next segment in this movie is Without You, sung by Andy Russell. This one was very much like a, Fantasia mind trip too. Yeah, where you pan in on a window and through the window it's raining and the seasons change and it's crazy. There's no real narrative or no. structure to it, so I it, I can't really explain what goes on. It's very surreal and actually it's it's really beautiful. But mm-hmm. anyway, the next segment is Casey at Bat, which is a about uh this is uh, actually. Jerry Colonia reciting yeah. the poem also entitled it's based off of a poem also titled Casey at bat. Uh, so this is about a baseball team in the early baseball era. This has to be like 1900s like pre-Babe Ruth baseball. Time. When I think classic baseball, this is exactly what I think of, you know, just pure chaos on the field. <laughs> you could just tell how, lo- how long ago this was based on the mustaches of these characters. I love it. Literally a character's must- mustache gets caught in the bat. <laughs> and he still it's, makes the hit. It's um, great. But the point of the segment is there's a baseball game and they're building up this character, Casey, uh, Jude, or yeah, just Casey, mm-hmm. and how good of a baseball player he was, and how much of a ladies' man he is, and he gets up at bat and he misses, he strikes out, and he's just left crying in the rain like a sad, pathetic loser. So then we go to the two silhouettes, which was sung by Diana Shore. Uh, Diana Shue, uh, or is it Shore? I don't know. I like Either. Diana Shue, it's Shore. I have it up here. Yeah, it's definitely Diana Shore, and we will talk about her more in the next segment. Um, this one is weird. It's just rotoscoped dancers uh, dancing. That's pretty much it. I mean, I'll, I'll save the, the deep dive for, the, for when we do our final discussion, but it's, um, 
it's it feels more this is it's an example of what feels more experimental uh for them trying to do just segments that don't have to do with anything but to say like hey here's how we can do animation and music blended the way we did with fantasia and do it in a unique way but i think it's a good technological leap because in reality rotoscoping is used to this day absolutely um but i don't think it's as innovative or as interesting as something like fantasia where the um you know, the segment with the dancing hippos and ostriches and alligators. Sure. Like, they created a dance in that. And mm -hmm. they used dancers as, like, their template. And here, mm -hmm. it's just like, you used real dancers again, but you didn't really animate anything. You just cut them out. Right. Put them in an animated sequence. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, the next segment is Peter and the Wolf. I think, uh, not to give away too many personal feelings about this segment, but I think it started out with, like, great prospects. When they're breaking down that each character has their own sound. Like, Peter is a string quartet. The bird, Sasha, is a flute. Sonia, the duck, is an, uh, an oboe. Mm -hmm. Ivan, the cat, is a clarinet, low register. Grandpa is the bassoon, and the hunter guns are kettle drums. Yeah, so that's originally how it was conceived, like yeah. the audio, but, or the, the, when the music came out. Um, and that's how it should have been kept. I, there's narrative over this movie, uh, over this segment, that drove me crazy. I don't, I don't mean to like give away final thoughts or anything, but you set something up that was so much nicer and so much more elegant than what you made out because you felt the audience was like too stupid, I guess, to follow the narrative. A lot of the narration in both the movies we're talking about today isn't needed. You know, the animation is strong enough to carry the movie. It feels like you, as a studio, Disney saw the box office receipts of Fantasia and was like, okay, well, I guess they don't like sophisticated stuff will literally throw narration into the movie so audiences know exactly what's going on but you're also describing how many kinds of movies and tv shows that even we grew up with in our generation what you're talking about is an early example of spoon feeding the audience i think what you when you mentioned fantasia is the key element here because we talked about how that was such a unique experimental film which found its audience later but like many artworks which don't they don't succeed right away. They find their following later. It's kind of like people don't want to bank on more projects like that if they're not going to make as much money. And I think that's a bigger picture of what you're trying to say with the smaller segment. Because I enjoyed the Peter and Wolf segment, but I completely understand where you're coming from. Yeah, and it also follows the old tune of Disney where it's so not racist that it's kind of racist, you know? Like, <laughs> they put Peter in such a heavy Russian environment that, like, these hunters were so, like, it was almost, like, uh, so not racist that it was racist, you know? Like, they're trying to be culturally relevant in Russia and, like, continue to build relations with Russia. Sure. But by doing so, it's, like, kind of racist how they made these characters. Well, it's jarring because it's trying to be, it's trying to so desperately show a, a different side of culture showing a different you it know country me of small world you know like small sure. world is one of those rides that's like trying to do something good where like yeah it's a small world after all we have to look after one another yeah yeah, yeah. but 
by doing so, you have to make character caricatures for your ride that are mm-hmm. like that touch on racial stereotypes, but it's like meant for you to absolve racial stereotypes. It's very strange. It's really just about perspective because there is the fine line, like with Song of the South, where it's kind of like, okay, well, again, we've never seen it, but like everyone knows this, the morals of it. So it's kind of like, there is that fine line between like, and again, this is a, something that, w- that we've said from the first episode of this, of this whole show, of this, of the Disney show is that, um, this would be like kind of like I talked about frequently is that fine line between uh, racial sensitivity and then just kind of like accepting the culture for what it said at the time. Cause this is really, cause that's really the, a key element of what we're talking about is this was just a totally different time. Yeah. And not just by today's um, PC standards, but like even just like slowly, like decade after decade and generation after generation, we've just changed as a society you know what i mean so it's just like we obviously still have a lot of work to do well Um, yeah i but that's why i said um in the beginning of the podcast you know watching song of the south to me is kind of like watching birth of a nation it's just the racial insensitivity is almost beyond sure what like you said it's beyond kind of what pc culture even today is Mm -hmm. like like how was that okay even back then? Right. You know, so, that's it, that's how it bad it can get. Well, part of what's fun about this, and without you know dig- digressing, because I know we have more segments to do, but it's kind of like part of the fun of this is kind of like going back in time and thinking like, okay, like what was the? Because this is very educational. It's very informative for us. It's kind of like, all right, we're going into history here. We're going into war. So it's kind of like, well, what's really going on behind the scenes? And a lot of that is the fact that there's clear. Um, and again, it's that fine line. It's there's, there's clear racial insensitivity and there's clear, like obvious, um, allusions to, um, like discrimination that kind of just back in the day, you know, in the 1930s or forties, people would just be like, yeah, whatever, this is just how it is. Where like, it's kind of what you and I are doing is we're taking our modern day, whatever, psychological selves. And we're kind of just jumping back into an era that's like very, for lack of a better word, it's very foreign. Uh, I don't mean like literally going to these different countries, but it's kind of like for Disney as Americans for the 1940s to like say like, hey, let's try and jump into other countries' cultures to try and show that we're all united is a very, I mean, that's a daunting task, especially for something during World War II. So yeah. Um, anyway, back to the segment. Uh, so anyway. So, <laughs> so Peter is a child. Uh, him and his bird and cat friends go to hunt for a wolf they find the wolf and ultimately peter emerges victorious over the wolf with the help of his with the help of the russian uh hunters and that's pretty, the segment pretty, pretty, good. pretty good the next one is after you've gone uh by benny goldman and the good good oh, sorry benny goodman and the goodman quartet uh this one instruments are literally like coming to life and colliding while jazzing out it's like pretty good that one's actually pretty good pretty the next one is johnny fedora and alice blue bonnet by the andrew sisters um oh god uh i don't want to dwell on this one (laughs) at all oh this is this is the one with the hats the two hats that fell in love at the store (laughs) And in the end, they find each other again on horses. <laughs> just to just to bring this joke full circle, bring this idea full circles that in this 
fictional show about the writers behind the scenes of Disney. And this, this is, we're now in season two of that show. Of, uh, I just imagine there's one kooky writer who's like, he's like, he's just like, I got this great idea about these two fedoras and the ones in the one window. And they're like, listen, you know, Ed, just can the idea. We're not doing the stupid fedora thing. And then somehow they like, He's and then Waltz me. comes bursting through the door one day and is like, guys, I need a segment, any segment. I need this anything, movie's got to be done. We this gotta movie's do got to be 75 minutes. We need to hit the 75-minute runtime. And then just like the camera pans over to the guy who's excited in the corner. And they're all just looking like, we got to have something better than this. And oh then it just smash cuts to them in the theater. And they're all watching the fedora segment. They're like, who the hell put the fedora segment in here? I'm just imagining, uh, this is going to be a deep like dive for anyone who hasn't watched 30 Rock, but... I'm just imagining the person who came up with this fedora sketch was like Lutz from 30 Rock. <laughs> like anytime they go to Lutz for lunch, it's yeah, like the yeah. worst choice. That's perfect. That's actually perfect. Yeah, like you have the long zoom in on him and it's like blimpies or except fedoras. <laughs> but they, I love Hats, the idea of love. Hats, love. It's perfect everyone's gonna audiences will connect with it and that's what i imagine i imagine that you sprinkle that joke early on in the season like he makes it maybe the first episode of the season like we should do a thing about fedoras it's like no shut up that's stupid and then now we're here and the fedora segment makes it into the film (laughs) anyway fedoras fall in love we're moving on next the final segment the whale who wanted to sing at the met oh boy so Fishermen hear the sound of a beautiful song and <laughs> turns out the song is, the singer is a whale. He can sing opera. It's, it's fabulous. It's fabulous. It's fabulous. I, gotta gi- I gotta give them credit and I'll save my thoughts on this, but you gotta give credit to what's his name? Uh, uh, Nelson Eddy. Because yeah. he narrated and performed every single voice in the segment. Good for him. So yeah. So Willie the whale is the singing whale, and this I don't know where this to begin. Imperioso, this Imperioso, the uh, person who runs the Metropolitan Museum of Opera, has the gr- brilliant idea that the whale can't actually sing, but he must have eaten two singers instead yeah. and they're like caught in his throat all this time he's been watching pinocchio too many times and thinking people can live in wales that's uh, good that's good you're doing the multiverse here so he goes out with a bunch of uh fishermen to go kill the whale and he pulls out the harpoon and we see the segment of uh, reconciliation willie the whale is actually the best fucking opera singer there is he's performing at the met the best stuff and then all of a sudden at the end we find out no in reality willie was shot by the fucking harpoon and he's just singing (laughs) in heaven it's really dark dark stuff real dark stuff for willie all right are you ready to get into these uh these segments here i'm 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 so i am so ready um as always as always, the awards are best song, best animated sequence, best voice actor, most traumatizing moment. So, best song, go for it. Um, all right, I'll kick us off. Uh, this was actually, believe it or not, I guess because Make My Music, the music is very heavily influenced, of course. This was actually 
very difficult for me to narrow down. Yeah. Um, man. All right. So best song, right? So we're strictly down to the music. Um, my runner-ups were Peter and the Wolf. It's just classic. I grew up with it. In fact, the version I grew up with, I don't, uh, um, the VHS tape, VHS tapes that we had. There's the one that was narrated by David Bowie later on. <laughs> so I don't know if they re-released the same one. I don't know if this was the same one, but if you you can YouTube it, that there's, I don't know if it was, I guess, re if it was the same animation that they released in the 70s where David Bowie narrated it. It was cool. But anyway, Peter the Wolf, something that I was always familiar with, with the music. Uh, it's classic, but we talked enough about it. The Another runner-up I had was All the Cats Join In. I really loved the um, um, the pencil drawing all the... Uh, drawing the, all the characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I really thought that it kind of, the bouncy music kind of reminded me, it, it kind of reminded me of predating King Louie in Jungle Book, singing his uh, Obi-Doo, whatever song. It's yeah. got that bouncy kind of jazzy vibe. Um, as far as best song, I got to give it to After You've Gone. I think that all the jazz instruments was very, it was very effective. And it kind of reminded me, it's, it reminded me of the door opening segment in Monsters, Inc. Um, oh, that's a good call. No, that, that's, that's pretty good. immediately reminded me of. So um, I just thought it was the only one that really made sense. It was kind of just the one that music-wise, it just caught my attention. And I'm yeah. just going to stick with my guns on that one. For my best song, I actually went with All the Cats in uh, Join In. I felt like you did. It's just very jazzy. It was, uh, I don't know, very bouncy. It worked for me. It's, I, I don't really have much to add. No, I mean, yeah, of course. It's, I, uh, I, I, yeah, very uh, creative. But, if I'm yeah. going to sit and listen to any song in the on the soundtrack, I feel like that's the one. I'm not going to be I'm, listening to the fucking Fedora song. Like, I'm going to, well, <laughs> when I dust off my Make My Music record, and play it on my record player. I think I'm going for the whale who sang at the Met. I really just those notes. Man, he really hits those those high notes. He does. Uh, best animated sequence. I went with after you've gone, which was the jazz segment that Josh just mentioned with the clashing like uh, instruments coming to life and they're just like clashing and jazzing out. I just felt like it was the most innovative and the most interesting of the bunch. Uh, that was, that's my pick. Yeah. Um, that was one of my runner ups along with, uh, Blue Bayou was a runner up. Uh, Blue Bayou, the... I want to mention now, I just, yeah. I don't know. I think that it was beautifully animated. I just don't know if they chose the right song. So it didn't hit me the way that I wanted it to. So I don't know what, I guess there's two versions of this movie, but there it was originally staged to Claire de Lune. Yeah. And that, the is, I don't know, because there one, I, uh, when I watched it again on YouTube, it was a different song. So I don't know. I think that staging it. Yeah. So I don't know if it was like, if it was a rights thing that it was like because some people are like oh i prefer the claire de lune version and i'm like i guess there's two different i don't know if it was like again with with musical rights i don't know what it is but i feel like stage to the certain kind of music can change it i don't know what the other one was i didn't make a note of it yeah uh, i just wanted to mention before we go to you that my runner-up was without you which is the window one where you zoom in to oh the sure rain and yeah i just thought well, we talked about that's cool very thing. experimental we were saying that that's very different um, yeah, um, which is what, what I like out of 
these movies. I I like the more experimental stuff than the narrated, you know, a classic animation. Like, if you have to tell me what's going on, like, go away. Get, get well, out of my face. It's, I'm not funny, that, it's funny that, well, it's funny that you say that because aside from Big Blue Bayou, it's just to mention the blue backdrop, you know, the bird drinking from the water, the, the moon and all that. Like, it, it's like a portrait. Yeah. Um, my actual pick for best animated sequence was Casey at the Bat. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> so in forms of silly, uh, kind of stupid kind of uh, narration, um, it's the one that kind of cracked me up the most. I will say that it reminded me more of Looney Tunes. It reminded me of being a kid and turning on Looney Tunes because it turns into chaos so fast and knowing what, like, I don't know, like I'm very easily swooned by good slapstick. And like, it was just, it start like everything is bouncy. Uh, even the the stadium is just bouncing. Everything's, everyone's running around. It's like Three Stooges, like, on crack. It's kind of just with the, like you said, the beard getting tangled up in the bat. I just thought the way it was animated was very, it, it was almost reminiscent of, like, the Steamboat Willie where, like, nothing stood still. All the animation just kept bouncing. All the animation just kept moving. And it was very, um, very silly. And I, I made me laugh. Um, but my problem was it is almost like a Looney Tune commercial sure. uh, cartoon. So just go for it you're like halfway there and you don't go for it well, and I instead mean, you add the narration i don't know like right no i see what you're saying it's really i just thought as far as animated sequence go it reminded me of what i loved about cartoons growing up i've always been i watched a lot of when, when looney tunes would come on like um cartoon network or whatever you know networks they were on they were just this was most reminiscent of just how silly and outlandish it is and i see what you're saying they don't quite they don't quite go for it because Looney Tunes and Disney ultimately do fall in, in different camps. Yeah. Um, but this well, is the closest uh, to Looney Tunes. I think we've seen Disney. some behind the scenes stuff. A lot of animators who worked for Walt in the beginning left and went to Looney Tunes because they felt that it was more free over there because yeah. they can actually like make the cartoons like cartoons. Sure. You can there were have, no rules. Yeah. There were no rules. And that you were able to get away with stuff that you just weren't at Disney because yeah. Disney has always had a strict code of conduct. Well, and that's why they have the reputation they do, you know? Yeah. I mean, Looney Tunes does have a reputation, but it's just, it's a different reputation, you know? Um, yeah. So let's move on to best voice actor. Go absolutely. for it, Josh. Um, so as I had mentioned, dropped his name earlier, <laughs> I got to give it to Nelson Eddy, the operatic I'm whale. Just going to cut in. That's my answer as well. So I'll let you tell the audience why, because I'm quite sure it's the same answer. It's what I said before. He voices all the sailors. He voices the whale. He does every single voice, I think, including the narration he does it all and so he, i gotta give credit because like sure like the segment's not my favorite but like i gotta give credit to this one guy who kind of holds it all down um everything else was kind of just um it was fine they were all give or take but that guy really stood out so yeah i'm gonna stick to my guns on that one that one may not be my favorite segment but it won the most awards it overall because i'm giving it most traumatizing moment when that <laughs> whale dies <laughs> like that was, what the fuck <laughs> that, that came was, out of nowhere it was pretty dark like we Usually said dark stuff. in movies specifically disney movies you have characters dreaming that they die and then they wake up instead they inverted it and had a whale dreaming that he lived but was actually dying it's crazy um what is your most traumatizing moment so it's not really traumatizing but i said uh, martin and the coys <laughs> Which I found it was later censored. The whole sketch was removed, I guess, at some point. 
um, people didn't like the depiction of us, all the guns and the violence or whatever. Um, I, I thought it was far and away the funniest segment is what I was going to say. It's just these men shooting at each other and then they're all floating up in heaven. I guess traumatizing is... started with that segment, I was like, oh no, what are I, we in for here? I was really excited because I felt like that's almost where like it peaked for me because I'm a, you know, whatever, being a trying to, you know, I, I'm being a cynical adult. I'm like, oh, this is great. You know, these bearded country men on the, either side firing at each other, they kill each other. Yeah. I think they use the Trump, we use, we chose to use the word traumatizing for this season because it's like, I can only imagine a child watching whatever PC content is out there and then stumbling across this. And it's kind of like, not that it would, it's traumatizing, but it's just, it's so jarringly different than I think what a lot of animated um, shows and movies have become today. And so it's a mere representation of everything that we don't have anymore. And that's another recurring theme that we have for this. Is that uh, your choice? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my only one. Then let's get into the overall final conversation about the the movie. The singing fedoras was actually my my runner up, so. As traumatizing? Yeah, really just. traumatizing? I guess we talked about it. It's a, it's an outrage. It's it's a mortifying sketch. I, it's I guess it's tra- I guess I guess it's more mortifying and traumatizing, traumatizing for the studio that drew it. But traumatizing that they put it into the. <laughs> so let's just get into the, into final, the final conversation about this movie. Disney doesn't put this on Disney Plus, which I don't understand. It's not a bad movie overall. No. I, it's not. It's clearly like a cheap knockoff of Fantasia. It feels mm-hmm. like a cheap knockoff of Fantasia. Yeah, of course. But it's not a bad movie, especially not to give away final thoughts about the next one, but the movie we're about to talk about is rough. Like, much rougher than this movie. Um, I uh, agree and disagree. For, so I, th- I know where you're, what you're driving at, I think, but we'll, we'll save it. But um... Yeah, I... Uh, so I just feel like Make My Music, it's 10 different segments and the movie constantly keeps going. I'm never bored because it just keeps shifting. Um, there's a, uh, for my pick of the week, it reminds you, I'll just say, I won't, I'll, I'll save it. I won't say, but it's, it reminds me of, of other films I've seen. Experimental is the word I'll keep coming back to because it's what Fantasia did and what you just said is perfect for Fantasia knockoff. That's how it feels. And and that's not bad because even the segments I don't like, it's like they're over quick and then there's something else. And it's constant. It's a constant form of entertainment more so than Fantasia. Because Fantasia had these extended bits. Some bits went on for like eight, nine minutes at a time or some of them 15 minutes, whatever. So it's like some of these are shorter, some of these are longer. But like even like we were saying with the silhouettes, and the, um, what was the other one? Or Without You, it's like, they're just, it's almost, it almost, even the fedoras, like I can make, you know, I can, whatever, we can knock it all we want, but it's it's the only, this is the only kind of movie in the Disney catalog where we would see something like this because it's them throwing darts at the wall to see what sticks. It's like, hey, you know what? Let's try out animating silhouettes. Let's try out using, um, you, know, you know, instruments represented by, figures that aren't people whatever you know what i mean like yeah, it's but i feel like the difference between this movie and fantasia is though the segments in fantasia were longer it was so much more artistic disney oh, was making course. a statement going like this is fucking art right now yeah, yeah. Where <laughs> in make my music some of the segments are just we've made jokes about them but they feel desperate like the fedora one feels like they were just mining for any content they could find the rotoscoping felt the same way. 
you know, I, I don't know why you put this in. The only time I think we've ever seen segments like this, now that it's coming to me, the fedoras, it, it just came to me, is that that feels similar for today's audiences are the Pixar shorts. Because they, they have, like, what's the one? Isn't there one where there's two volcanoes singing to each yeah, other? The, I, you know, I didn't like that one either. But... but that's my whole point is, like, that it's experimental. And so I guess that's the only place that that kind of life when Disney lives on. And I think for better or worse, it's kind of like it was Disney's era to kind of just experiment. It's, there was their way to say, hey, let's try something completely radically different. Yeah. All right. So do you want to move into fun and fancy free? Uh, do I want to? Um, I'll leave that up for debate, Nate. Yeah. Are um, we going to do it? Let's do this do thing. It. Walt Disney's ninth full-length animated feature is available to own for the first time ever. I can't believe it. Fun and fancy free. Join Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck, Goofy, and Jiminy Cricket in this fun-filled, timeless classic as they spring into action, fly into adventure, and bounce onto video. Walt Disney's masterpiece, Fun and Fancy Free, now on video for a limited time. Oh, boy. <laughs> So let's just do a little background information about this movie. Uh, animators Bill Codrell and T. He, that's his actual name, T. He, uh, pitched the idea of a feature film based on Jack and the Beanstalk starring Mickey Mouse. Uh, Donald Duck was actually like the biggest Disney character at the time, and they wanted to make sure that they could put Mickey back front and center. But obviously, you know, Donald became the standout in this one, too. Uh, eventually, what happened was uh, they had a couple deleted scenes, like where Mickey sells the cow. And actually, he was going to sell the cow to Honest John and Gideon from Pinocchio. Oh, that's cool. Which would have been cool. But there wasn't enough for a full movie, so they had to cut it down. And they paired it with Bongo. This bongo was like thought to be a sequel to Dumbo because of the circus theme. Like it was literally another movie that they were planning to make a feature of, mm -hmm. like as a, an almost sequel to Dumbo, but didn't work out. The story for Bongo actually was finalized on December 8th, 1941, which is the day after Pearl Harbor. So good to know that someone had a productive day. <laughs> and originally Bongo had a chimpanzee as a friend but that was cut the only thing it was is that the fun and fancy free song as sung by uh jiminy cricket was intended to be used in pinocchio but was dropped there's a lot of notes that, like i'm just reading there's a lot of notes that says like hey they had plans for like bigger things here but like they didn't end up going with them i'll and just mention now that is going to be a common trend for the next few movies uh, specifically this one and the adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad or Mr. Toad and Ichabod, whatever the order is. Uh, all of these segments were supposed to be feature length movies, but because there wasn't enough time or animators due to the war, they kept getting shrink shrunken down into half movies and pushed through as such. It's interesting. And it's it's funny because like I was wondering where I knew some of this like the like the Mickey and the Beanstalk bit. Mm -hmm. Like it's funny because I was wondering where I knew that from and apparently Fun and Fancy Free was released on VHS in 1997. 
to com- commemorate its 50th anniversary. Yep. And I guess like I had seen, I guess I was familiar with that segment because it was all coming back to me when I was watching. Not the first segment, but what the hey. everything with the beanstalk bit, like all the imagery with the giant and the, the singing, like that giant is also used apparently in uh, Willie the Giant was in Mickey's Christmas Carol in 1983. Yeah, he uh, was. Where he plays the he Ghost, of Christmas, Ghost of Christmas present, present which yeah. is really funny because I remember that was another one. I'm like, where, do, where the hell do I know this giant from that's aside from Mickey and the Beanstalk? And that's but this goes back to what you and I were saying at the beginning of this podcast, you know, even if you don't know where the specific Disney reference is from, you know that it's still a Disney reference. There's like some these characters are sprinkled everywhere. It's wild. So I had a real trip with this movie. There was no, there, I thought I had specific notes. I mean, it's all a lot of like, hey, you know, like kind of like you were alluding to, like things that were supposed to be used for like Pinocchio crossovers, a lot of Pinocchio crossovers, I guess, with Jiminy Cricket and whatnot. Um, well, Jiminy, let's get into the plot of the movie. Yeah, we can just dive in. Yeah, it opens with the song Fun and Fancy Free and then transitions into Jiminy singing I'm a happy-go-lucky fellow where he enters a house and I don't know if it's even his house. This guy likes to creep into other people's places as we learned in Pinocchio when he just snuck into Geppetto's workshop. He interacts with the house and even plays with a doll. It's very strange. The doll literally looked like a the mix between a sex doll and aurora from sleeping beauty it's very creepy but jiminy finds a record of bongo and he decides to play that record and good lord did we have to watch it it's sung it's it's narrated by diana shore who we mentioned before she did a segment in uh make mine music So Bongo is essentially about a circus bear who is the best at what he does in the circus, but he wants to get out of the cage that he's in because he's not treated very well. He does this great stuff for the circus and they treat him like a dog. Like a dog. Like a dog. He begs. Like a dog. He's going to beg. He begs like like a a dog. dog. Anyway, (laughs) so he rattles his cage enough while the train is on the, while the circus train is on the move, and he gets out. He rides into the forest, and he's having the fun time, time of his life. It's great stuff. But then he's, like, annoyed with the forest, which obviously anyone uh, pampered would be, because who, I I don't get camping. I just don't. Well, anyway. speak for yourself, but, uh, you know, that's fine. I am. I definitely am. I know a lot of people who love it. And, You're you know, a city boy. That's all good. I just, it's all good. I just don't get it. It's all right, man. Someone's just got to take you on a camping trip and take you in the woods and show you a good time. And The real trick would be getting <laughs> me on the camping trip. He'll be fine. Fuck that. Just, uh, yeah. Anyway, Babongo then finds a interesting young bearess. You know, she's a lovely young bear, and they fall in love instantly. Of course they do. And they love each other so much that the female bear decides to slap Bongo. And Bongo is offended because he grew up in a civilized society where slaps mean something different. Because according to bears, and I had no idea this was the case, if a bear likes you, she'll slap you. But Bongo walks away and this other bigger bear falls in love with the female bear. But then from a distance, Bongo sees all the bears celebrating and they're all slapping each other. And he's like, oh wait, I guess the lady bear did love me. 
So he rides back down and be beats up the bigger bear, and it all has a happy ending. Well, you see, yeah, a very happy Bonko ending. Bonko slaps the woman, and uh, <laughs> that's how it ends. You know, Stephen, this reminds me of a time I was in a bar, and um, a big burly gay man came up to me, and he slapped me in the face. And I said, what was that for? He said, I assumed you were a bear like myself. And I said, no, I'm so sorry. I'm, you're terribly mistaken, but thank you for the courtesy. And, he said, uh, now you're mine, sweetheart. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we've been together ever since. It's been a great four years. <laughs> um, I think that there's a lot of commentary here about slapping and how it's perceived as either a bad thing or a good thing. We'll Some people like touch being on slapped. That later when we get to the awards. <laughs> <laughs> I think that slapping is a sign of love. Uh, to some and the sign of hatred to others. There's a lot here, um, but I digress. Literally the you... song that the bears are singing about it is say it with a slap. So the bongo record ends after too long of a time, if you ask me. And Jiminy keeps exploring the room and finds an invitation in this little girl's room and decides, oh, the party's across the street. I could just go to that, right? Like, I wasn't invited. I found an invitation, but that's enough of an invitation for me to crash. Is there a little girl here all by herself? Daddy's got to get his rocks off. Jiminy's got to get his rocks off. So, <laughs> honestly, what he walks into is more creepy than him deciding to go. Because this party, the contents of this party is a little girl, two puppets, and a creepy old man. This is the creepiest party I think I've ever seen since Michael Jackson's birthday party. To keep things lively because, you know, To Catch a Predator hasn't arrived yet. The man tells the story about Mickey and the Beanstalk, which, like Josh said, has a lot of references that I completely, like, forgot about until, like, just some, like, iconic shots in this. It's that Mickey, Donald, and Goofy are roommates in this small dying farm because the harp that produces the uh, foliage has been absconded by the giant. They're literally, ha uh, Mickey, Donald, and Goofy are having dinner and Mickey's slicing the bread so thin that like you could fucking see through it. That's it's an fun iconic uh, it's funny meme because at this point. I don't know. It's funny, the slicing the bread and I think it, uh, the slicing of the pea, I think is from Mickey's Christmas Carol where they slice, it's, um, um, I don't mean to I don't mean to, to to get off topic as we always do, but it's like a Mickey's Christmas Carol. They're, they're they show the Bob Cratchit's family and they're so poor, and they show the family and they're eating peas and they're slicing one single pea yep. into so uh, clearly Disney's got a thing with showing poor people slicing beans and food into very like thin translucent pieces. But anyway, yeah. So each of them gets uh a very thin slice of bread and half a, a third of a bean for dinner. And Donald loses it because of course he does. <laughs> and he's going right for that fucking cow with an ax. No regret in his fucking face. And Mickey and Goofy stop him and they calm him down. But Mickey says, we got to sell the cow. Hold up. Mickey sells the cow for magic beans. Oh, and honestly, Ooh. when Mickey comes back all fucking happy that he sold the cow for these beans and Donald's eyes look like they want to stab Mickey in the fucking throat, I understand it. Yeah. 
but the beans fall between the cracks of the floors and when they wake up they're high in the sky the beanstalk has grown it's crazy and they make their way to the castle and inside the castle they find a feast which was actually pretty funny the castle is actually home to willie the giant Ooh, who comes in singing Fee Fi Fo Fum, which I didn't realize was a song until I rewatched this. Well, it's funny because again, it came, I guess, I guess I watched the VHS of this, or I guess I saw it when I was a kid. Cause like it all kind of started coming back to me, including yeah, that song. The song came and back to me when I was watching it too. I was like, man, it's so weird. Cause you don't realize you have memories until certain things trigger them. And I'm like, this is very strange that I have these memories at all. Um, fum. Yeah, it's very strange. Very catchy, very strange. <laughs> it's like watching a commercial that you haven't seen in years and it had a jingle and you're like, oh my God, I forgot about that jingle. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> so the giant catches Mickey, but Mickey, Donald and Goofy escape with the harp. And somehow beat the giant down the beanstalk by a huge like margin like how they got down so fast when the giant was climbing down the beanstalk at the same time is beyond me uh they end up killing the giant uh but do they not really but they bring the harp back and we assume everything is uh okie day in their world but then we see the giant in LA who picks up the roof of the house that the party's going on in and is like have you seen a rabbit or what did that he say? really came back to me yeah when he's going through and he's there everyone's screaming and he's picking up the little yeah, and roofs. then he goes to literally goes to LA and he's picking up the roofs of several places yeah and that's how it ends uh um let's get into the categories for this good now so, I was gonna say there's another version of Mickey and the Beanstalk that I didn't realize because I thought that there was a bit where the giant smokes rolls up Mickey who takes hay and rolls him up rolls up like a cigarette and smokes and Mickey's trapped inside and I realized that there's another version of Mickey and the Beans Mickey and the Giant which is very strange interesting interesting um anyway so um, best song I guess I'll go first yeah, yeah, I, yeah for sure none of the songs really stood out in this uh, at all like I don't even the one I'm about to award, I don't particularly like. Uh, it is actually Fee Fi Fo Fum because it, I just think it was like a catchy jingle. You know, uh, the runner up is I'm a happy go lucky fellow, but honestly, Fee Fi Fo Fum is the one that like I left the movie list like thinking about more often than not. But go the on. one, the only one I went with isn't really a real. <laughs> A real song, but it's Goofy and Donald singing Eat Until I Die. It's 28 seconds long. There you go. <laughs> and they have the food up, but it's a, it was a reminder of what I loved about these characters. Just this little uh, bit, and I said, oh, this is great. You know, this is, this yep. is the only bit I can really, I'll really so, make a note of. <laughs> what's your best animated sequence? Uh, I said the Beanstalk sequence. The growing uh, in too. the room. I just thought it was, yeah, it's cool with the light, of course. It felt uh, with, like something that Charlie Chaplin would do if he could make something like that live action because all the characters are very much in a Chaplin state of mind where like mm -hmm. things are happening to them, but they don't even know that they're happening. And it's just very, <laughs> it's well done. No, it was good. I liked the way, just the way it was animated. Just when they're all sleeping, they show growing and then they show the, you know, um, it wider of yeah you know going all to the clouds it was just as far as animation goes it was a it was a unique sequence so best voice actor i went with billy 
uh, Gilbert, who did Willie the Giant. He's really the, yeah. I think he's primarily the only one that I could uh, think of. He's really the only, like, new character. The harp was fine, I guess. I don't know. He was a real doofy character. He really sold that full, uh, he was really going full. um, Yeah, he was going for it. it. (laughs) And he built a character through that voice that has lived on. Even, again, even if you don't know where the giant or uh, originates from, you kind of know what the giant looks and sounds like if you see it. Maybe not yeah, to young yeah. people, but you know, to us. Uh, most traumatizing moment. Go for it. I didn't know what to pick out of the entire. I don't know what to pick, but I, I, I guess you could say I, I don't know if you could say all of the the whole bongo segment. Um, that well, was traumatizing they, to you. Once they got into the slap song, and there, I'm I. It was really a lot. It was really, I don't know if it's traumatized, more of I wish I could just erase it from my brain. Yeah, the bongo segment was really rough. I, it was, it was really rough. I'll save it. I'll save my thoughts. I'll save it for last. But a- most traumatizing moment, I have two. Uh, the first is the slapping sequence because like you shouldn't be teaching kids like who are probably going to watch this movie that you can solve a problem with a slap or that you love someone with a slap. That's just like... Uh- setting yourself up for like physical abuse if someone slaps you like you leave their ass that's just how that's just the way it was man it's just the way like it should be like if someone slaps you they don't like they don't respect you unless they're both uh you know mutually uh you know exclusive to the slap if they both like the slap you know then it's very sexual um (laughs) but the other traumatizing moment is still that party that party is creepy i don't care if you're watching it in the 1940s, how do you not think that's creepy? It is a man with two puppets that are alive and this little girl. That is a horror movie in the fucking making. It's a different time. That's like, not. that shouldn't even be a different time thing. That's literally like this... <laughs> this guy is literally a creeper. Are you kidding me with this? This is it, man. This was, uh, come on, creepers were everywhere. They've been all over Hollywood for decades. So we're only just now exposing them. I'm not saying that the actor is a creeper because he's an actor. He's getting paid to do what he's doing. It's just the setup is very un- unnerving. It's very strange to have this little girl who was the only one who got an invitation to this party. Like, <laughs> literally, it's an invitation in this little girl's room. Where are her parents? Did her parents just be like, oh, okay, the neighbor wants to see him? See, it's only our generation, I think, that really thinks like this. Because we're finally becoming aware of just like, hey, there's something wrong with this picture here. But I don't know. Even in the 40s, I feel like there were better parents to know that, like, I'm going to send my fucking 10-year-old little girl to this house of the guy next door with two alive puppets. I don't know, man. It was, it was a different time. I don't know. I'm not excusing it, but I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know, know. man. People Very strange. Were... <laughs> anyway, let's get into final thoughts in this movie. Why don't you kick it off? Um, I don't really know where to begin. We've said a lot as often, as we often do. Um, the Mickey and the Beanstalk bit was great. I think it was a representation of everything that I've ever loved about Mickey, Donald, and Goofy. I never really knew why I knew these characters as well as I did. Because, like, I don't, again, like we've been saying, like, these characters have been so, especially Mickey, Donald, and Goofy have always been pushed to the front. They're always, like, kind of the, you know, along with Pluto and Minnie and all of them. But, like, there's that, the Mickey, the Beanstalk bit was just great. Like, Goofy's always been my favorite Disney character. I love a Goofy movie. It's one of the more underrated Disney movies out there. 
But I, I like it comes back to the roots as to why I love these characters. And the, the Mickey and the Beanstalk bit was a representation of, or a reminder of, of why, what made me love these characters. Uh, versus I agree the with that. Yeah. Versus, oh, it's just great. But versus I think the uh, that segment, it has an iconic quality to it. There's uh, something about like it. Like you said, you, everyone kind of knows that segment, even if they don't really know it. Outside of the weird, like, live-action stuff, the segment is fun. I just wish that the live-action stuff didn't exist around it. It just made it very odd. I think where you're going with this conversation, the the first segment to this movie is almost, like, unwatchable. The bongo stuff is like, what are we doing here? It's really terrible. It's really, really just not good. I, I, I couldn't believe what I was watching for half the time. I was like... Is how much longer could this possibly be? It was really I was I almost couldn't believe that it was I it it just went it went on for so much longer than it needed to. It I really mentioned felt- this in the beginning too. I hate hate when like the characters are like following the orders of the narrator. It's like the narrator is literally telling the characters how to feel at that specific moment, and it I I don't need. That. I just don't. It's it's uh, it's really it was kind of insufferable. Uh, but to go off of my earlier note, when it said that the Fun and Fancy Free re-release on VHS uh, in 1997, um, it's funny because I guess that's I don't know if that's what I owned or or my family owned or whatever. But it's funny because it, the note the footnote here is that none of the ads for its release featured any of the clips from Bongo. And it only showed clips from Mickey and the Beanstalk. The box art doesn't even feature Bongo either. Um, most likely because Mickey, Donald, and Goofy, as well as Jiminy, are far more recognizable characters to inc- help increase the sales of the video. But like, I also can't help but feel like someone down the road would watch this and was just like, "We can't. We let's just try and yeah, let's try and either bury scrub- the lead here because this right. one opens the movie too. <laughs> it's bad." Again, I I mentioned the circumstances before we touched on this movie. Mickey and the Beanstalk was supposed to be a feature film, and the war kind of just got in the way of doing that. There weren't enough animators. There there wasn't enough time to dedicate to a full feature-length movie. I understand that it was hard for them to make uh, full-length narrative films, and this was also an easy way to good cash. But I don't know if that like justifies some of the short ends that they took in this like bongo clearly was like not done or can like done like in a conceptual way like there needed to be more work done on that one and (laughs) even in make my music which i think is a better movie than fun and fancy free overall which is why i can't believe it's not on disney plus Mm-hmm. Uh, I just think there were some shorts in that that are also like, why is this here? We mentioned the fedora one. It's the like, bo- what, yeah. what is this doing? Like the bo- the bongo sketch would have been would have been better as a sketch in might make my music than it did here. Like it it makes more like not that I think Mickey the Beanstalk justifies its own full length feature, even if it was like a half hour short and you just released it as is like what it, it keep, keep it as is don't even change it like you know but the 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 bongo bit it's like hey let's go for a double feature and it's like at what cost 
I don't know. Like you said, you could have made the Mickey and the Beanstalk thing a full feature film. And it's just a shame that they didn't because it looks like they had good stuff yeah. brewing. There's clearly great stuff going on with it. I mean, everything we got was fine, but like there's obviously all the, the stuff with, like you were saying with Pinocchio crossovers and whatnot, it seemed like they had bigger ideas. So it's like, I guess it's a shame they had to scramble and put out what they had, but yeah. Overall, like, even the music in that in that movie is like not good. The fee fi fo fum song that I picked as my favorite. Like, imagine if they took the time and effort to write a song for that phrase, like that they did in like Pinocchio to do "When You Wish Upon a Star." You know, it's sure. like I just feel like there's untapped potential here. But at the same yeah. time, like I've been saying, the studio has been wrapped up in other endeavors, so it's understandable why you're getting subpar work but at the end of the day my question is just is it better to release crap that you know is crap because you don't have the resources or should you take a little bit longer to make a movie and put a little more effort into it you know well again just to bring the backstory full circle i think that what makes this whole era unique is that with the war going on it's kind of like all original plans to make full-length features were kind of in this crazy mix-up of just like, well, where do we go from here? Because we don't really get another standard uh, Disney full-length animated feature until... Until Cinderella in 1950. Honestly, I was thinking about this the other day when I was watching um, Fun and Fancy for... No, Make Mine Music. You know, we mentioned in the beginning uh, how Walt stopped experimenting with animation after mm. you know probably Bambi when the golden age ended but in reality these short like these movies we've been talking the wartime era they make me appreciate Cinderella a lot more yeah like, a lot more because just being able to get back to homeostasis is a lot right uh, these movies aren't I'm not saying any of them are like atrocious, although Fun and Fancy Free was pretty bad. Um, but at the same time, like getting back to like good, solid narrative animation is a huge leap in 1950. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's part of what you and I have been talking about every week as getting the educational and informative bits out of all this. And it just goes to show that everything is kind of influenced by what's going on. And the fact that it does, Disney does this roller coaster, like we said, I think it was with Bambi, is that animation was never the same after this. It was kind of just like they stuck to their, they couldn't come up with that medium. So they kind of just stuck to their guns and what they, what was working. And they kind of made that their format moving forward into the Disney animated films that we have today. Or the ones that we grew up with, the later, the Renaissance was really the end of the hand-drawn animation. But um, Well, there was the, you know, second Dark Age period uh, the post-Renaissance period when there was still 2D animation, but it was clearly falling behind its Pixar. Way out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like, a whole different era. But, but We'll talk about that era much, much later down the line. Um, but it's interesting because this is all part of the representation of why this whole time was experimental. Why it's the wartime era. Like, we've been, like I've been saying the last couple episodes, like, do I... <laughs> the running theme, I think, this whole show has been... Um, do I, I respect these movies more than I like them, um, which is way more prom- prominent with these shorts. And like you said, it makes you uh, appreciate the feature length narratives more. Even the, the ones later on that you're like, oh, these don't seem as good. But like, there's obviously 
rich quality when they put in the efforts that they can when they have the time and the resources. Yeah. Whereas now war is going on and it's kind of like, hey, here's what we have. And if Bongo's the best they can do, <laughs> if that's what gets them to power through and pay the bills, then, you know, I respect uh, that. Yep. So I guess that's a good place to end our yep. fun and fancy free and music coverage. It, so tell me, Josh, do you have a pick of the week? I do. Um, I am going away from my usual animated picks and I'm actually going to go with the 2018 Coen Brothers hit uh, Battle of Buster Scruggs. I was going to go with that. All right. I'm, that's like not even a joke. I was that's, literally going to go with that. This is the second time this has happened. Yep. Second time this happened, folks. This is history in the making. So we'll just make, we'll have a discussion about it instead of just my thoughts and your thoughts. Yeah. But basically, just to kick it off, I'll say that earlier I teased at another film later on that was similar to this. It's the only thing that came to mind and it really hit me when that first sketch hit in Make My Music. Uh, yeah. The coys and the whatever. Right. Because all of a sudden, like, it really hit me because they're 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 these guys are at war and then you see them as like angels are floating up in heaven and I thought of it, the opening of Buster Scruggs yeah when where... he's literally doing gunfire in a song and he literally gets killed and he becomes like an angel with like a wings and it's funny because like those similarities don't stop there um, everything about what Buster Scruggs to me is is kind of like uh, it's an anthology series well that's why Cowboys I picked it because yeah. it's a conglomerate of vignettes but buster scruggs does it a lot better the sketches are more solid in buster scruggs than they are in make my music well it's doing a totally it's doing a totally different thing i mean yeah. it's it's not only decades later but it's very honed in on what it's trying to do because it's doing a representation of all kinds of westerns which i mean i think was met with mostly positive reviews but also like very also mixed reception like, i don't know if it was mixed reception but I just feel like it's a very underrated movie. Maybe it's because oh, it came absolutely. out on Netflix and got buried that year. Yeah. Uh, because they didn't really push it at the Oscars. If some, if no one talks about a movie that dropped on Netflix, it just falls into the like. Especially with how hole. fast the content is coming yeah. out these days. And it's not like Roma or uh, yeah, it's not like Roma who got or Irishman or, or, Irishman or Marriage Story who got mm. the big Oscar pushes. It got buried right. into, uh, you know, into the Netflix holds but but even when we were working together i remember that movie came out and we were talking about like the fact that they're broken down into segments as drastically different as they are is exactly how i felt about watching these animated shorts like they're like i said it's totally different because they're doing a, a modern day representation of old westerns yeah whereas this is just this was cartoons just saying like hey we're gonna do whatever it's not really focused on aside from peter and the wolf it's not really focused on widely vastly different cultural uh boundaries you know there's a little bit of country and there's a little bit of it's more of an americana vignette uh so i think this is a good place to end our coverage of make my music and fun and fancy free that's uh, great next week we will end the disney wartime era and our coverage on these movies with uh, medley time and the adventures of mr toad and ichabod which i'm actually looking forward to looking very forward to sleepy hollow portion same same but same 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 so oh, same. same oh it's like it's like two sames in the same same man it's crazy uh as it's always, insane. Can, yeah <laughs> it's insane as always you can follow me on instagram at mr Philmart. 
and now you can follow me on Letterboxd at Mr. Filmart. I just signed up for that. Oh, congrats, man. Yeah, so if you want to look at my ratings, because I'm not writing uh, reviews. That's, well, guy, we're going to have to be friends. I'm, uh, what's my username? Uh, it's Beesh, B-E-E-S-H. There I'll you go. It. Look at that. He finally gave out one of his uh, oh yeah, no, one of I'm his handles. That's uh, cool, man. As always, you could find the podcast on Instagram at who's at who's filmography, and we will see you next week. Get hey, because we got to run from the headless horseman, man. Yay, giddy up, bitch! All right, cool. This is gonna be great. Thank you.